Are you growing your company through M&A? Our guest today, Jennifer Fondreve, says that people you thought you knew can show a very different side of themselves when they're uncertain of the future. Which characters can emerge in your post-deal environment? Join us for episode 249 of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And sitting right along with me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hey, everybody. It's great to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose here is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas to help visionary leaders accelerate themselves along with their companies to their next level of game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. Now, of course, a part of game-changing growth is often the acquisition of companies that can expand your existing franchise or business into an adjacent market. And here's the challenge. You're going into uncharted territory. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Certainty and ambiguity go way up. Way Way up up in this type of deal. Yes. It's tempting for top leadership to focus on the transactional side of the deal. Sure. And then not consider something that we've seen in our work. There's an emotional journey that happens in the post-acquisition environment. So it goes beyond procedures and policies and all those things that best practices that people set up that are important. And it starts at the top. When you can anticipate what it looks like, it can help you thrive through M&A. And that's why we're glad to be speaking today with Jennifer Fondreve, the founder and chief humanity officer of the M&A consultancy Day One Ready. Jennifer and I actually met through our mutual involvement in leveling up our keynote speaking. Yes, it was. And our common our common view of helping leaders be better leaders in the workplace. Right. That's right. So as a former C-suite marketing tech executive, she led teams through three separate multi-billion dollar acquisition deals. She's drawn on her experience in authoring the best-selling satirical business book, Now What? Have I said it right, Jennifer? You have. With the proper level of... The exclamation point. Thank you for the exclamation (laughs) and question mark after now what? That's right. And the subtitle is A Survivor's Guide for Thriving Through Mergers and Acquisitions. Jennifer's expertise has been featured on Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS News, published in the Harvard Business Review, and much more. She's the winner of the North Shore Women in Business Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And you can read more about Jennifer's background by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 249, and scrolling down under resources. So, Jennifer. Welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. (laughs) Tell us what influenced you to write your book. Now what? (laughs) Where did it come from? It was, as Brene Brown likes to say, it was my lived experience. 
And and what's interesting, even as you were saying that bio, I led teams, but not as a merger and acquisition aficionado. I was the head of marketing, B2B marketing, and the three different roles that I had in those three separate multi-billion dollar acquisitions that you highlighted. And it was really in that experience that I recognized there had to, there just had to be a better way of doing M&A. I thought the concept, right? The decision to do a merger or an acquisition was a smart one in three uh, experiences that I had. But going through them, I recognized that the leaders hadn't anticipated the difficulty that people can have in embracing change. Uh, And if you don't factor that into your timeline, how that can slow down success. And so really the impetus for my book was to write a book that captured what I had experienced and 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 to not only highlight for the people going through it, but equally for leadership who might be leading teams through a merger and acquisition, here's how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Here's how to anticipate not only the behaviors, but how to help people get through this time of change and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So what's especially interesting is we're going to take this sort of sub-focus of being the buy side. You know, you're thinking, everybody's going, well, hey, they got what they wanted. They've bought the company. We're in the driver's seat. We're in the driver's seat. Yet it doesn't exactly work out that way. Not in all the work we've seen. In fact, one of the biggest things that I saw that prompted me to write my book all those years ago was that things that we thought were going to happen when there was a merger, when there was an acquisition, did not pan out that way, even on the buy side. I mean, it's part of why this long-standing uh, statistic that many people know about, you know, 60 to 70% of mergers and acquisitions don't deliver on expectations. That's why it happens. Everybody knows that, though, right? Yeah, everyone knows Jennifer, that. you've heard that a million times, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, that's been a long, that's both Harvard Business Review and McKinsey studies have reinforced. And well, we've, right. our research has reinforced that as well. Now, here's the thing. You've said that... In M&As, people that you thought you knew can become very different. They can act in different ways when they're uncertain about the future. Right. And you know what's what's interesting, Scott, is I always say to people, let's just use the pandemic as an example. Sure. Right. Even if you don't believe me, if you think, well, how could you say that? And I'll say, if you use the pandemic, go back to 2020, when everyone was afraid and uncertain of their future, I'm confident every single one of us experienced someone else who they thought they knew really well acting in ways they never expected. Because when people are afraid and uncertain of the future, they act differently, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you thought they'd be fine wearing masks and they hated wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Maybe you thought they would social distance and they thought that's a silly, you know, like there's a whole level of things that were expected of us that you saw people react in different ways. And so I say, use that as your reference point. And and just recognize people act differently. You can't always anticipate how people will behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, we see this going down throughout an organization. But it can also happen at the top, even at the earliest stages. One of, of the things, act. yeah, one of the things that I've seen is that it's such a journey 
people think, okay, we can just keep going the way we were. You know, we acquired X company. We're going into an adjacent market. You know, it's a market we've never been in before. But we're buying the expertise. So So we can just keep going. Let's lead the company as we've been. The expectations are we'll be able to integrate them quickly. There is not really a lot of consideration as to even at the top leadership there's a grieving process, and you've spoken with us about grieving. So let's talk a little bit about that, the journey. Well, it, it happens in a couple in a couple of ways. And, and top leadership, and Pam, you and I have talked about this, oftentimes, because top leadership has been involved in the deal discussions, likely months, these things take a, t- mm-hmm. take a while sure. to, to figure out the value, the business case, all of that. And so for for me, what I say to top leadership when working with them is just recognize you've had time to process this, understand the reason for it, the benefits, the opportunities, all of that. The moment you announce this, even if rumors were happening, it's it's this, the equivalent. And I say that's why I, I reframe it in the stages of grief type of mindset is even if someone was dying for a while, the moment that they pass, it's an affront, right? It's still a shock. So even if I've been hearing rumors that the company is going to acquire or be acquired, when it happens, a different part of you kicks in. Survival mm-hmm. right. kicks in. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I work a lot on with executives is just be prepared that you're going to have some people who are really excited. They embrace it. They have accepted it. They're ready to go but a more significant percentage of your workforce is going to take a while to really embrace and get to acceptance, to go through those stages of grief, to see the opportunity. Because right now, all they see, and frankly, even all they hear is, what does this mean for my job? Will I have the same boss? Will the team stay together? They go from being we-focused on the company to I-focused. Senior leadership, if they aren't prepared for that, typically have a rude awakening. Uh Mm -hmm. I would agree with you there. And the biggest surprise that I've seen in working with top leadership teams is that they're not aware because maybe they're so focused on the transactional side. Absolutely. That they themselves are going through a grieving process, a letting go of leading the way they used to lead, and now having to lead for a new organization. Even if there is a a line between maybe the areas, it's not the same. And the expectations and the uncertainty that comes up, well, we're going to have an ROI of X percent. And, you know, you can't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of pressure there. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, Pam, I interviewed, for, so I come from a marketing background. So my initial network, I interviewed a lot of marketing executives, CMOs. And there was one CMO in particular who the story he shared with me brings to light exactly what you were saying. He said, I realized in the deal discussions that we were having, uh, ultimately they walked away, but in the initial deal discussions, he said, I realized they could, they didn't care about marketing at all. They didn't see the benefit of marketing. He said, I felt that marketing had helped build up the equity of our company, that we had a name in the marketplace because of all the marketing. And he said, but in these deal discussions, it was very clear to me that they didn't get marketing, they didn't appreciate the value of it. And he said, that was that was hard to take. He said, and you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? Once it's out, it's out. And he said, so I realized 
you know, the CEO, the CFO, they'd all heard that. And so, you know, all the things that he had championed to do that he thought were critically important suddenly was made to sound not important at all, even though as a marketer, I know better. It was just exactly what you said, right? He went mm-hmm. through his own little grieving process. You talk about different personas, you know, people become different personalities at times. And that was some of the surprise that I started to encounter as I was working with these companies that were going through new leadership in a sense, even though they were the ones that were leading the deal. I want to make that clear. We'll talk about some of these personas as we go along. But one of the ones that stuck out to me was the CEO and maybe somebody on the board who says, this deal has to go through. It has to go through fast. We're going to make it happen now. We're going to, you know, you have to do what it yeah, takes. No and, downtime. Let's move. Know, we've let's we've put everything I, in place. And C-suite, you know, you're right there too, aren't you? And everybody's <laughs> kind of going, wait a moment. <laughs> you know, not so fast. Does that sound like somebody that you've described? Not a person, but a persona. My personas, and it's exactly as you said, Pam, the thing I want to highlight about the personas before we get into them All is- right. I wrote about these caricatures, if you will, yeah. because it's a point in time. And so, you know, there's a few personas where, oh, that person pretty much show, always shows up that way. But there are an, a number of instances where I wrote about the personas because it's how people react when they're afraid and uncertain, right? If you've watched the right. TV show Survivor, yeah. right? you know, I mean, absolutely, you see people switch allegiances and allies all the time. Right. And, you know, oftentimes we'll say, gosh, I hope I would act that way in a moment of, t- of stress and pressure. Sometimes you don't know. So the dominatrix slash the bully is that character who uh, is closest to what you're describing, right? They're, they're about the objectives. Set the objectives, define the strategies, execute. They're not about people's feelings. They're not about building consensus. And I'm not judging this character right or wrong. Simply saying that character can be very powerful at the beginning of your merger or acquisition because they're focused on the results. Get the job done. Yeah. And in a game-changing situation is they're visionary, right? Yes, absolutely. So they're thinking, this is where we need to go. Not everybody's there. Yeah. Steve Jobs would have definitely been yeah. a dominatrix bully type. The downside is, and and Steve's a perfect example if you've read any of the, the books, right? People will either burnout, except for the few resilient, you tend not to get the best work out of people when they're afraid. And you can lose some key talent. You can you can lose people who aren't who aren't willing to put up with that, who maybe respect the vision but don't see their role in it and they don't want to put up with that level of stress. And again, I'm not trying to to judge these different caricatures. I brought them to light for leadership to understand here's how this person shows up. And here's the good side of them, but here's also the impact that they can have on the success of your deal. So with boards in particular, as you highlighted, Pam, they can be seductive at the beginning, but you just need to be aware of the consequences. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the importance. And this is just one of the personas. And I'm glad that you spoke about the context of it, because it's with great respect that you have put together 
this really funny document and I think very helpful as well. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will dig deeper with Jennifer Fondreve, speaker, advisor, and founder of Day One Ready. More about the different personas that can emerge in top leadership during M&A. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, and we're on the web at businessadvance.com. As always, we focus on enabling visionary CEOs and C-suite leaders to accelerate the momentum it takes to achieve game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. We're excited to announce that as of February of 2023, Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper moved into its ninth year of episodes. We're proud that we've received top podcast recognition in 2022, and this year we'll have more conversations with CEOs and thought leaders who are changing the face of business, and we'll feature more of our own quick take episodes as well. If you're enjoying listening to Growth Igniters Radio, spread the good word. Open it on whatever podcast app you use and write a review. And feel free to share links to your favorite episodes, maybe this one, on your social media. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with Jennifer Fondreve, speaker, advisor, founder of the M&A consultancy Day One Ready, about how the reactions of top leadership to the uncertainty of M&A has an impact on the success of the deal. Jennifer, tell us how people can find out more about you, your work, your book, your keynotes, everything. Well, first, I hang out a lot on LinkedIn. My aunt thinks that I'm dead on Facebook because <laughs> I, I can only handle one platform at a time. Okay. Yeah. And so for me, LinkedIn's been a great community. There's a lot of people who, similar to you, Pam, right? We all kind of hang together. Those who we want have to, to yes. make leaders better. So uh, LinkedIn and then my website, jenniferjfondreve.com. Okay. And you can also find links by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 249, scroll down under resources. So in our first segment, we were speaking with Jennifer about the fact that when even when you're on the buy side of an anime deal, you can still have these unexpected emotional responses. And it really is important to capture not only does it happen to people in your organization, but you and your executive team and the board are part of that organization, and it impacts everybody. We talked about how people can take on these different personas with a wink and a nod. One of them was dominatrix, which Get it done, get it done. Get get it it done, done. but with a visionary kind of look. You know, I think people, again, all of this well-intended, no rights, no wrongs per se, just sometimes what happens. We were looking through a list about some of these other personas, and one of the ones I've seen a lot too, especially when you're going into a new area, is the ostrich. Yeah. At least I think it's the ostrich, because one of the challenges is, let's say that you've got the dominatrix saying, okay, we're going into this new area. I see it. I'm a visionary. Got the blessing. I'm even the chairman of the board. You know, We see this. Yet at the same time, there are people that we've encountered who say, 
we're just going to continue to lead as we've been. The head of the whole marketing area says, we're going to continue as we are. Well, they I would say they even the ostrich goes even further than that. It's not, mm-hmm. hey, we're just going to do it the way we have been. They stick their head in the sand and they hope it'll all go away. They're so attached to how things have been done in the past. And I get it. Pam, mm-hmm. as you said, I think pretty much everyone is an ostrich right at the beginning. We're all a little bit in denial mm-hmm. because change is hard, right? Right. Shifting and shifting uh, and pivoting, you know, it, it requires you to let go of a lot of the ways things used to be, how they used to be done. Mm-hmm. And to figure out, okay, what do we preserve from the way things used to be? in order to succeed in the future. So again, no judgment, but we're all a little bit of an ostrich at the beginning. But the tough part is if you haven't communicated properly that vision, Pam, as you highlighted, if the the dominatrix or whoever, you know, whatever personality type is in front, if you haven't communicated that vision in a way that helps the rest of the organization understand why you did it, right? The value that will come to both companies and then helps people understand the role that they will play in in executing that vision. If you haven't done that, the possibility of having people remain ostriches longer goes up. And that's that's really what I wanted to point out with that particular character. And one of the things that we've seen in several circumstances in M&As that we've helped advise on or have watched is that in the acquiring company, they say, well, we're, we brought on these people. They have to change. We don't. We're doing it our way. They have to adapt to us, even if it's a blended C-suite now. Do you see that too? Yeah. It's one of the things I I talk about when I cover culture with with leadership. If you have that, you know, one of the distinctions is corporate versus entrepreneur, Uh formal language versus informal language. Because I talk a lot. I give it context by saying, think about country culture. Mm -hmm. Countries have languages. Companies have languages. So if you don't spend time to understand one another's culture and their language, you will have some rude awakening along the way. And and that's where I find senior leadership in particular is, is eager to better understand that going in because of exactly as you said, Scott, the influence that that can have on your success in integrating teams. Oh, yeah. Right. Here's another scenario. Let's see what persona you would put to this. I was working with a company and they had entered into an M&A and they acquired a company and there were two areas in the company and the people on the front lines were about killing each other. Not really, but there was so much conflict and it was hard to tell initially what was going on. And I traced it back and I sat in on a C-suite meeting. And I noticed that two of the areas actually had very close accountabilities. And the two people, different titles, but related titles, and they were also coming from different companies. And when I raised this to the CEO, he said, I know. And one of them's not going to be around much longer. So we'll take the survivor. What would you say that persona might be? Well, it's hard to know without knowing exactly how they led separately. Yeah. I, I heard your description that there was conflict, uh-huh. possibly the Black Widow. That's what I was thinking from the list. 
Well, then, Pam, I would love to hear because that that would actually be fun. What made you think that the the Black Widow might be the description for the persona? There was a lot of knowledge that was being hidden. You know, everybody was supposed to be a team. We are all on the same team, ostensibly. You know, now we are. And yet, it reminded me a little bit of Survivor at that point. And this is, again, this is the acquiring company. This is the C-suite. And the CEO, he was holding on to his own knowledge. He wasn't really a dominatrix. I, I didn't see that coming out so much as we're a team, but we're holding on to certain things. A little bit yeah. of Machiavelli. Am I getting on. it right here? Yeah. I mean, these are the personas you're putting together, but that would be if I was looking at the list and I was superimposing situations that I've worked with and saying, well, how would I, how would I say that? What would, what would that be according to Jennifer's list? No, the way you've described it, because the, the Black Widow is pulled from Machiavelli's The Prince, uh-huh. that person who uses knowledge as power okay. uh, and who's, who's interested in you, not necessarily for you, but for the knowledge that you have. And typically they're using it to make you expendable. They're using that knowledge to to gain power. And, you know, it's interesting, even as we're talking about this, because I think, uh, you know, just by nature, they're the funnier characters, but they tend to be the more negative ones. I did a leadership workshop with leaders in Canada. And I remember one guy saying, can we start talking about the positive ones? We're nice here in Canada. <laughs> and I, I said, absolutely. But the reason why I wrote about these personas was to just highlight you know, you don't always see the best version of people when they're when they're afraid and uncertain. So it's not mm-hmm. to say that everyone shows up this way. You don't worry about the ones who are positive, right? Who've gotten to acceptance and are ready to go. Like those are the ones who were good. They're, they're moving forward. What I really wanted to highlight, because it was, again, my lived experience, that people show up in different ways. And the smarter you are about how they show up, what might be driving some of those behaviors helps you from becoming one of them, but also gives you a little bit better sense of, okay, now I understand why this person is acting this way. And as a leader, it can help you in getting them to not only embrace, but work collaboratively to make the the deal a success. So let's talk about one of the more positive, I think one of the more positive personas that you want to cultivate and sometimes gets squished. Uh, you wrote about the great unifier the person who cares about things working out well, who wants everybody to win, and who wants to bring people together, sometimes that's very, very valuable. They're not always valued. Well, and where it happens, because they can be that boss who people, everyone goes to, even if he's not or she's not your boss, you go to them for advice. And they can be enormously influential at the beginning of a deal in particular because people look to them. What does Sally or Joe think about this? Is this good for us? Are we mm-hmm. are we happy? And depending on he, how he or she acts, they can influence a, a broad aspect of the organization. The downside, and Pam, it's interesting, the scenario you played out with the CEO who was holding back information, mm-hmm. two heads who are equally holding back information from each other. That can be the downfall of the great unifier. If he or she isn't aware of the shifting political alliances and how things are playing out, people lower on the totem pole can start to see that things are shifting and playing out in a different way. 
And if they pick up on the fact that the great unifier isn't aware of these shifting alliances, he or she loses his influence because then people go, oh, well, Joe or Sally isn't up to speed on what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So what, what I talk about in my book and what I work on with leaders is the great unifier can be an amazing catalyst to make change happen, but you need to keep them informed. Information needs to be shared at the top amongst leaders in order for the great unifier to have the impact you want them to. This is fascinating, and it's been really helpful to think about some of the dynamics from this kind of a framework. Uh, Of course, there's more personas that you talk about. We don't have time in this episode to do that. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, Scott and I will speak more with Jennifer Fondreve, speaker, advisor, and founder of Day One Ready, about immediately useful ideas for thriving through M&A, starting at the top. You're listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, where we focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase the momentum it takes to achieve game-changing results. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Have you ever wondered, if so many CEOs think it's important to lead for business transformation and long-term growth in a rapidly changing world, why can it be so challenging to break the orbit of the status quo? As an author and advisor to visionary CEOs who often face mysterious pushback to their big ideas, that was the question that sent me on a long search for answers. So what's the secret of the great leaders? The successful visionary leaders I call growth igniters, the ones who are able to ignite game-changing business growth over and over again, what's their secret? They're able to anticipate and embrace the hidden leadership dynamics that can naturally emerge in uncharted territory. Oh, you mean like we're talking about today? Even more. And how do they do this? That's what I share in my keynote, Break Orbit, Achieving Long-Term Growth in a Short-Term World. Go to PamHarperSpeaks.com today to find out more about Pam's keynote and her availability to speak at your next leadership conference or executive retreat. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Jennifer Fondreve, speaker, advisor, and founder of the M&A consultancy Day One Ready, about how uncertainty of M&A can impact behaviors, and it starts at the top. Jennifer, remind us how people can find out more about you, your work, your book, and your keynote. First, I would go to jenniferjfondreve.com. That's where equally you'll find the resource that we've been talking about a bit, the, where my 10 characters are identified, and you'll find a, a number of other resources. Also, LinkedIn, Jennifer J. Fondreve. I'm hanging out a lot on LinkedIn. I share a lot of lessons learned through change and uncertainty. Yes. And have a good dialogue with a lot of people doing the same, trying to help other leaders through change and uncertainty. Yes, I definitely can uh, recommend Jennifer's LinkedIn. Definitely subscribe to that. And you can also find more information and links to this episode by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 249, and scroll down to resources. So we are at the point in our conversation where we talk about the immediately useful ideas. 
people have heard us talking. We want to make sure they come away with something next. What's next, right? So let's talk about something practical here. And the first idea that comes to mind, I just want to reiterate this whole being aware of the emotional side of the journey. Because so often, especially at the top, you're focused on just closing the transaction, getting everything ready. Even what I've noticed is before the deal is even finalized, there's a lot of jockeying around that's going on. And I think it comes from the emotional side. What's something that you could do? You write a book. (laughs) (laughs) You, You hit the nail on the head because I felt in my role as a leader through three different merger and acquisition deals, the people were not aware of the emotional side, how emotional change can be. And leaders overestimate people's ability to quickly pivot and shift. And I felt that the lack of attention to the emotional piece of it was what led to a lot of the delays, the frustrations, and ultimately undermine the success of the deal. And so a practical first thing is be aware of triggers that might get you asking, hey, what's going on here? If what should be happening theoretically isn't happening. Usually there's something emotional that's going on that's underneath the surface. What I say, Scott, to to leaders is create an atmosphere where it's okay. It's okay to Mm -hmm. challenge thoughts. It's okay to say, here's here's issues that I'm having with that. And I'm quick to say, this doesn't mean everything has to be a kumbaya moment, but fostering an environment where, where people can share, here's the frustrations I'm having or why this is difficult can make you a better leader. And definitely be aware that your modeling is going to be what's going to be practiced across all of the organization, but especially in the C-suite. So if you as the CEO or you're on the board and you're modeling that it's okay to have these conversations, that we're dealing with something tough, even as we want it, that's important. And going along with that, I would say is idea number two, this goes to your list. As much as it's a fun list, I think that looking for signs in others, you know, we were saying, well, here's what's going on. What could be happening? I mean, is that how you recommend that people use this? It is. And I'm always quick to highlight This is not to pass judgment. I was a few of these characters. I know every character that I wrote about. And the list is not exhaustive. I've identified 10. A lot of people have come up and said, oh, I loved your list. Here's here's one that I would add. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. I was thinking hybrids, you know? Like I'd say, this is one part dominatrix with another part of ostrich. (laughs) Pam, what you highlight is you can go in and out of some of these characters, right? We show Uh up in different ways in different situations. If I feel threatened in a certain situation, I might show up one way. If I'm feeling comfortable and confident in another, I'll show up another way. And so for me, the critical piece was to highlight, hey, this is how people can show up depending on the situation, where you are in your M&A journey, because it is a journey, it is. And, and here's how to be aware of it. And to be better leaders, this is what you need to be not only smart on, but make sure you don't show up as one of these. Because I do highlight, you know, here's how these characters can undermine success. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And so a practical thing people who are listening can do is go to growthunitedradio.com, episode 249, and there will be a link to download Jennifer's list from her website, and you can go from there. Yes. I think the other thing to say is, you know, we look for signs in others, but I have a favorite saying, which is, when you have a difficult conversation, when somebody else is difficult, could that difficult person think you're the difficult person? You know? Absolutely. If people are responding to you differently, that could be a sign that maybe some of those behaviors could be already taking place or it's a good way to have a reality check. Oh, absolutely. I, I was interviewing a leader and he was talking about the fact that people weren't sharing information with him. Yeah. It's really frustrating him. And I said to him, I said, well, maybe you're the black widow. Uh-huh. And, and I remember him going, oh, I said, so how do you use that information? Do you use that information to help the organization broadly? Or do you use that information just to serve yourself and your position? Mm-hmm. I wasn't as blunt as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fascinating to me because I could almost see the epiphany happening. And he was thinking, ah, yeah, I think I was. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's the reason why I wrote about it. Because oftentimes we don't realize that's the way we're showing up and how it can undermine our own success. And so it's why they're caricatures. It's why they are... My book is illustrated. I wanted people mm-hmm. to have fun, but also in the humor, see the practicality and the seriousness of it. Absolutely. So, of course, it boils down to cultivating respect, building respect, mutual respect. And that's idea number three. When I do my leadership workshops with the CEO and their team from both companies, it's a daily workshop. And I'll always get the question what's the number one thing? that you you tell CEOs leads to success. And I say, both sides need to come to the partnership with respect for the other side. And I'll use an example of a marriage. Think about the marriages you most admire. There's love. Love is there. Yes. More important, <laughs> more important, and you two exemplify this, right? More important than that is their respect in each other. Each brings yeah. out the best in each other. And I said, yeah. so you yeah. want this to be a happy marriage, a long enduring marriage, It's not just about love. This is the honeymoon. You're all in love with each other. This is great. We get along so well. But long-term, the key is going to be, are you coming to this partnership with respect for the other side? Yes. That, above all, is what leads to success. Yes. The immediately useful idea we'll add to that is it's the curiosity. Yeah. When we have the respect, we get curious about each other, for instance. If something isn't going right, we'll say, wait a minute. And some of the best... C-suites that I've seen, leadership teams that I've seen, uh, really foster that curiosity along with the mutual respect, towards the mutual respect. Well, and I love that example because curiosity is absolutely key. Rather than say to the other side, how could you have messed that up? That's Here's how you should do that. The question is, oh, how did you approach that? How can we learn from that? Mm -hmm. Here are things we've done in our company with a similar situation. Could that could that potentially contribute in helping solve the problem you're having? You know, when you come, I love the fact that you highlighted the curiosity piece because it is what what strengthens a partnership and the same applies in a merger and acquisition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there something I could be doing differently that can help you succeed more? That's the question. Yeah. 
and Pam, I, I think you would agree, to be curious means you come at it with humility. You come at it assuming you don't have all the answers. You come That's at it right. thinking, I could learn from this. I could, I could, that's I right. could learn to be better or learn to do this better. And that's the critical secret sauce. And we've certainly been learning from you today. So I thank you. Any final thoughts uh, you want to leave us with as far as thriving through MA, especially for game changing growth? You're the acquirer. Well, actually, it's it, this last part of our conversation was what I would have highlighted. And the fact that you two exemplify that respect the importance that that plays in a strong partnership, a strong union. It's great that we're ending on that note. Yes. And we are the C-suite. So thank you again. This has been fun and very, very helpful. Thanks, Jennifer. And thanks to all of you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio. To get show notes and other links to uh, this episode to download Jennifer's list, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 249. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss with your team. As we plan for M&A integration, what conversations can we have to help us and our organization deal with the emotional journey ahead? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved.